the conclusion is that people matter. You know, at and again, I've never been a. I didn't go to business school. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not an economist. But I was a biologist. But I wound up in the business world, and my simple-minded view of business is, at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's about what people do. It's about how people make a living. It's about human interaction. I think most people have good intentions. Most people want the same things. They want to have a, a decent life with family and friends and um, be able to provide for their families, be able to have a little fun with their friends and, um, and live with some sort of dignity. The way it works is like the minimum amount of time supposedly to to give them official notice is two weeks. Uh-huh. So I gave them my official notice probably almost a month. Three weeks to a month. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be retiring on Friday, January the 6th which is also Little Christmas or Epiphany, the day the three wise men went to visit Jesus at the manger. And I'm hoping that I'm a wise man as well. I think we have to redefine retirement <laughs> before we go any further. Okay. Because, okay. uh, again, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself retiring. I know it's semantics. But I'm considering myself leaving my my job or my career uh, of printing and doing something new or different. So, so I I look at almost as a, a new beginning versus r- retirement. And maybe I just say that to make myself feel good. And maybe in fact, yeah, you're. 65 years old and you're not going to be working there anymore and that's really retirement but I don't like to look at it that way Have you come upon any words that you feel would be more appropriate or a different term? Um, just like uh, a, new, a new start a new beginning new opportunity it will be different though, because there's this sense that you do, there aren't the same constraints or pressure as with like career, career. As far as the job pressure, that's always what you put on yourself anyway. So whether you're working for someone or you're working in in your own endeavor, you probably put 
a similar amount of pressure on yourself to do the right thing. The difference is that having a family, you don't, you no longer have the pressures of needing to make sure you have enough income to support your family. So, so that's that's a whole new phase. So, your your goals are not specifically just to be a, for lack of a better term, breadwinner for the family. It's also now, what can I do that might have meaning and be fulfilling and maybe have some monetary benefit, um, but I don't have to do it in a way that I'm worried about putting food on the table. From the work that you've done over your career, what was the most meaningful work to you? When when you say career, I mean I mean there's been a couple of different careers, but the most meaningful I can think of two experiences. Um, one was in in training a new salesperson when I worked at the 3M company. Um, I was a sales trainer. At the same time, I had a sales territory, but they also would send you to places to train. And I went to Michigan to train a young sales rep. And um, when I first met him, it, it seemed like this is going to be a very difficult experience and I don't know that he's trainable to where it, it, it turned out to be a great experience and he was very trainable and and we had a very successful experience and he remembered it through his through his career and whenever we met he would always remind me of that well, so what what made you what was the initial impression that made you think that this oh no <laughs> <laughs> like you get to Michigan, you meet the guy, and you say, "This this can't be right." He, he was a long, lanky young kid that he had cut himself shaving that morning, so he came in with like like cuts on his face from shaving, and you could just tell he was like really nervous, uh-huh. you know. And it was like his name his name was Tim Smaby, and um, it just he reminded me like of an Ichabod Crane kind of character and just didn't seem to fit the mold of, of someone who would be a salesperson. Yeah. So um, my, my first thought was that to tell Tim that, oh, by the way, I'll be doing the driving. <laughs> and... And you sit in the passenger sit, seat and, and take notes. And so um, he did that. In fact, he took down almost every word I would say very diligently. Um, and I we started the week where I said, okay, Tim, I'm going to go in and I'm going to do the sales call and then we'll come back and talk about it. 
And I don't know if you know sales, but there are steps of the sale that you go through, different phases of it. And so I would say, okay, now you've seen me do it the first time. Now you go through the first two phases, and then I'll take it from there. And then I just kind of built it up to where the end of the week I said, okay, Tim, now you do the entire call. And to my surprise, I mean, the, he would do the entire call, like, really well. And he studied, and he listened, and he he did everything he needed to do. And it was great. It was a great experience. And I was happy to see that I was wrong. <laughs> so... Wish I was a Kellogg's cornflake Floating in my boat, taking movies Relaxed in a while Living in style Talking to a raisin who occasionally plays L.A. And then what was the, um... What was the second thing that comes to mind? Well... And I just thought of something. The other thing that comes to my mind is like I, it seemed like I was always given impossible assignments that I always um, tackled and and seemed to be able to to get through them, even though at the time when you first start they seemed impossible. Um, but my second one was when I went to 3M at um, their headquarters in the marketing department and was put into a project for rejuvenating some an old product line and wound up with a small team of people that were dedicated and knew what they were doing and, and we launched a, a successful product and um, that was my second most satisfying thing what I mean give a little bit more details like rejuvenate an old product line was it another impossible kind of deal yeah where it's like hey good yeah. luck so but my first impossible assignment at at 3M was to um, go to Long Island and sell printing plates in a in a territory that was dominated by the competition and, and heavily infiltrated to where it's like, how do you how do you win? You know, it was like it was hard, and we didn't have a great product. But after six years of working really hard and 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 calling on customers and working with distributors, I, I turned it around. I gained a lot of business for 3M over the competition. One of the first big customers that I was calling on yeah. said to me, he goes, I'm going to tell you right now. And again, you're in New York, so they tell you exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no, there's no hiding anything. So, and he, and he said, he goes, I hate the 3M company. He goes, it's the only company, there's only one other company I hate more than 3M, and that's Kodak. But he goes... You'll never sell me anything. That was how I met him. And and what did that make you think, or how did that make you feel, or what did you say? It made me feel like a challenge. Yeah, like, oh, you got you got excited. This is somebody I I would love to be able to turn this around. 
Well, at the time I was a young kid, I don't know that excited was the right word. I was probably <laughs> like, oh, great, what kind of what kind of job did I get myself into? <laughs> but it, but in a in a in in a real way, it was also a challenge. It was like, oh, okay, well, let's see what I can do. It, it took time, but I, I did wind up. They became my best customer in, in Long Island. How long did it take to turn around? What what did you do? Uh, you just I don't remember. I I really don't remember how long <laughs> it took. I, I don't remember. But what did you do? Like what did you even do? I just kept calling on them and showing my face and trying to bring value of information and um, making sure he knew who I was and that I was available and. Um, I think at some point, and, and it's a long time ago now, and, and I I don't really remember. I'm I'm thinking that they may have had a problem with their the plates they were using, and decided to say, "Hey, let's find out." This guy's been calling on us. Let's let's give them a chance and say, hey, these plates aren't working. How, what about how good are your plates? Kind yeah. of thing. I I think that's what happened. There was some sort of frustration and opportunity I, opened. I, up. I think. And then, so then you did you did that for six, six years, years, where you had yeah. this territory on Long Island. Yeah. And then, and you actually were able. You kind of became better at selling you knew what was yeah. going on yeah and well and it, it basically came down to just work yeah i mean at that point it was a matter of getting out every day and calling on customers and in those days you know it it was fairly easy to cold call you know okay. just kind of show up yeah and um and so i would i would be out on the road every day, you know, making calls. Yeah. And then also working with distributors, and they would, you'd be talking to them on the phone at night. So it was it was kind of an around-the-clock kind of, not as much as today. I mean, I think today is way more with cell phones and computers. It's really around-the-clock. Yeah. In those days, it's, you know, by 8 o'clock, you're not getting any more calls. Yeah. So... And then what, um, during this time, what did you, what were you hoping it would turn into? What were you thinking? What, was there anything or just kind of? Just trying to go out and succeed every day, I think. Yeah. As I remember. But then there was always talk of, you know, getting promoted to the, to the headquarters and, and moving your career up the ladder kind of thing. And, and so it was kind of always in the background, but really not what drove you every day. Yeah. What, yeah. What was the corporate, what was the corporate mentality culture? Because this is now, now this is the eighties when this is all. It's the eighties. So when you were selling on Long Island, what, what time period was that? 1984 to 1990. Okay. Did you have aspirations to be like, higher up in the company or did you kind of like doing this the same I liked I liked what I was doing. Yeah. 
I liked what I was doing. And I was very um, idealistic uh-huh. and felt that, well, if there was an opportunity for me to do more to help the company and if I needed to, you know, go to the headquarters, I, I felt if, they, if there was an opportunity for me to do more, then I would do it. This, yeah, this is like a... And I, I was always one who liked to be thinking in terms of a team effort that, that hey, it's us against them and I want to beat the competition. And when did when did an opportunity come up, or how did it come up? How did you hear about it? Who? So it was in nineteen. When, there was always people from the headquarters watching the salespeople, and in those days, in three M in particular, would take salespeople out of the territories and promote them into marketing positions because they felt they had a lot of knowledge of the customers and of the problems and of the opportunities in in at, at the customer level. Mm-hmm. So they would promote salespeople and they would take salespeople and promote them into marketing jobs. Okay. So that would be the next step. And I had several different marketing people visit me and ask me and see if I, I was so I, w- I had competed for a couple of marketing jobs before I got offered the one in 1990. And at that time, 3M, the printing division actually split into two. And so that's what led me to wind up in marketing at 3M in Minnesota, but with a new division that was formed to. So, so a new division that kind of refocused the business and was trying to revitalize this old product. And I went there not realizing that they wanted to take this old tired product and make it like an important product. And they put me in charge of that. And it was like, wow, here's another impossible task Yeah, in front of me. So that's the second impossible task. Turn around a new product, turn around an old product that people didn't really particularly like. Yeah. Into the the major product of a new division. What was the split between the two divisions? It was more or less the the high-end color market versus... um, Black and white? Black and white traditional high-volume market. Okay. And which one... Were you then? So I was in that black and white traditional market. And there was an old and product that people didn't really like. It was a polyester plate. It didn't have the greatest reputation, and so we had to figure out how to make it better. This is where you got a small team. So in part of that revival, we we developed a... We went into a partnership with a company to develop a machine that would be able to produce the product better and um, launch this machine 
but there was a lot of negativity about it'll never work and it's a stupid idea and um, so so it was it was an uphill battle um, but I went out and I did market research I talked to customers determined that even though the digital age was like right on the edge it was going to happen it was happening and gonna happen this was still an analog product but in talking to customers would determine that I would ask them why they don't use digital products and they would give me the answers and I'm like oh I, I understand so there was more of a window of opportunity for analog products than people wanted to think so I still recommended that we go ahead with the analog product with the new machine um, a lot of people felt it was probably doomed for failure, which was a really good thing because we had a small team that got left alone. Nobody bothered us, and we were able to create a really good system and product and launch it, and, it, it, and we sold over a thousand machines that had a lot of customer satisfaction. The thing that was fulfilling about that, or the reason it was meaningful, was it in part because it was an impossible task, or was it the end success, or was it kind of the sense that you were working with a good group of people where everyone kind of pulled together? It was the fact it was a small team that everybody um, pulled together and... Um, were, were all wanting to put out a really good product for the sake of the customer. And it was that small team effort that created a success. So it was, so it was working with a team of people that all had a common goal and, and worked together to, to, a, to a successful end. How many people were on the team? I'm going to say there's probably six people. What allowed that team to work together and not, you know, not have any of the politics or the backstabbing or not have anything like that infiltrate? Um, like what, what? I don't know the answer to that. You know, I I guess. I like to think the leadership, you know, I like to think my team leadership was part of that, but maybe that's just being egotistical. I don't know. But, um, and I just, I, I, I don't think it was that. I think it was just the people that were there. They were, they were people that wanted to do good work and enjoyed challenges and we're, we're happy to be able to make decisions without a lot of 
interference from from an executive level what um if it was due to the team leadership what was it that you actively did or kept in mind or thought that you know like okay this is going to be important to keep everyone on the I same page i don't know maybe maybe leadership's not the word right word maybe it was just listening and actually valuing the input from the various people about what was right and what was wrong do you think by listening they felt like they were valuable team members yes. and had a say and that then contributed to their investment? Yes. Like they could make a difference. Yeah. Might have been an experience that was refreshing for them. Yeah. What do you think is the key to being a good listener? I guess it's about caring what the other person is thinking. You know, actually giving it value. Is is listening kind of valuing that person? Yes, yes, I would, I would, I think so. It creates energy. Yeah, I think it creates positive energy. Yeah. Why do you think listening breaks down, or why do you think people don't listen when that does not happen? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. <laughs> um. I, I want to say partly because I think sometimes people are asked for input and give input but realize that their input didn't make a difference and it was almost like decisions had already been made and the input being given was just to to satisfy the the masses, so to speak, that oh we're we're interested in what you've got to say. But at the end of the day, then when things happen differently, you say, Well, they didn't really want to hear what I had to say. Yeah. Small team, people are able to provide input, successful product. What happens then? Does it like does any I mean this is a giant organization you six people within a giant organization successful product do you guys and then the um, the company um, soon after that announced that it was spinning off I don't know how many divisions uh-huh. to a new company okay okay so yeah so the spin-off comes. And, and all of that just all gets lost. It just gets all lost in the shuffle. And you got no one had any indication that this was happening. No, no, that just happened one day. Does the does the accomplishment though? I mean, it's still counted as one of the most meaningful things. It's not to about, me. Yeah, but it's not about the credit because it didn't get any no, credit. No, it, it was, was about the fact that. Hey, we had a team of guys that, and, and in that case, it was, I think it was all guys, um, that we we succeeded in in doing something. Yeah, it was kind of like, well, what didn't really 
you succeeded, you did the thing, yeah, and that in and of itself was satisfying. Absolutely. So then, this, then there's an announcement. <laughs> They're spinning off divisions. What got spun off? Um, I don't know how many ten divisions or so, amongst which printing was one of them. Got spun off from 3M to a new company, Imation, and and so that was kind of like everything else got kind of lost in the shuffle. At that point. Did that come as a shock? Yes. Was did you immediately know what the whole how it was going to unravel or what the whole game was or was no? It, it was still too early in corporate kind of layoffs, mergers and acquisitions, and all that. Like, what year is this? This is nineteen ninety five. So it's early still. Nineteen ninety five. So, and. It was done um, totally in secret and just announced one day that 3M was spinning off 10,000 people in these various divisions to a new company. And that at this point in time, the announcement was made and that from that point going forward, you were no longer a 3M employee. You are now an employee of they didn't have a name for the company yet, so they called it New Company. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, pretty you, funny, isn't it? Did, do you have so did, and, and actually they and then they they had an acronym for it called Nuco. <laughs> so so now you are an employee of Nuco. It was announced on a voicemail. So that was 1995, and yeah. there is voicemail. Is it a human who calls you and leaves a voicemail? No, it's a recording. <laughs> um, and the recording, and, and I remember it at the time, this is before cell phones. Yeah. Right? There are no cell phones. Yeah. As a salesperson, you're, you're still, you're getting your messages at a pay phone. Yeah, you go to a pay phone... Right, uh-huh. and you got special codes that you dial in. Yeah, and I don't remember exactly the whole process, uh. but there's a lot of numbers that you dial in to get into your voicemail from a payphone. Wow! So I was at an airport in Newark, New Jersey, and I dialed in for my voicemail and listen to my voicemail. And one of the mail messages was a recorded message about the announcement that 3M was spinning off these 10,000 employees to a new company. And that was, that was how we found out. Did and so at that point... I, I called my manager and I said, did you listen to your voicemail? And he said, no. I said, well, if you do, I don't think we work for 3M Company anymore. We now work for the new company. <laughs> Whatever that is.
So you, you spent 15 years at Xerox. Right. This was my 15th year. Which actually was about the same amount of time I spent at 3M. See, this is so funny. I was always under the impression that you worked for like a really long time at 3M and then kind of just like recently towards the end of your career like worked at Xerox which like isn't really reality no, no it's not in, it's, it's 15 years but from the way that you talk about it and I think from the way you feel about it working at 3M felt like a much longer time than Xerox I don't know if that's yeah. true I don't know yeah maybe 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 that's true I don't know why. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know the, the answer to that. Yeah. So, fifteen years at Xerox. Yes. And now, and now you're retiring. I'm leaving Xerox. Yeah. At the age of sixty-five. Yeah. And having worked there for fifteen years and thirty-five years in the industry. It was a long time. And then five years in teaching mm -hmm. and two years making fish food two years making fish you might go back to making fish food <laughs> maybe um, at Xerox what was what what was like a highlight or something you know at these other places you had kind of I uh, I don't know if there's any one highlight mm -hmm. I, I, I can't think of any one highlight I would say that I, again, I developed relationships with customers that that have been good, yeah, and and satisfying and rewarding. Out of this whole thing, this whole sales career, it sounds like the thing that you value most is the relationship that you built with customers or people you worked closely with on teams that succeed. Yes. I think that's true. Huh. And I think that... Um, you know, I guess in some sense when you're in sales and you're uh, um, in the front lines with the customers, you... Um, Depending on who you are, you feel like, well, you know, these are really the people that that are important, and that that um, it's because of them you have a job, you know, and it's important to provide them with uh, solutions and solving their problems and bringing value so that they you know, purchase your products and continue to purchase your products and those products make them successful. And if it makes them successful, then you've done your job. It sounds like, I mean, what I, kind of what I heard there is that you essentially, at the end of the day, the people you worked for were your customers. Yes. You know, whatever company you worked at was kind of like the middleman. But, like, at the end of the day, you work for your customers, whoever those were. Yes. 
did now this I don't know if this is a weird question, but did the companies you worked at appreciate or resent that you prioritized your customers? I would say for the most part, the managers that I've worked for uh -huh. appreciated that. That's good. Did you ever have people, I guess on that, that team, but did you, were there other situations where you had people working under you? Only one time. On that team? No, they didn't work for me. Oh, okay. Okay, we were, we were peers on that team. Do you think that was part of what made it a success? Um, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't were you put in the position of like team captain then? Were your peers, but you were kind of like in um, the lead? Or how no, did that... I don't think anybody put you in a. There was no like formal designation. Uh huh. But the fact that you were the marketer and driving the business, that kind of put you into that position. Okay. Of making things happen. Yeah, I guess when you I guess when you're among a group of peers and no one's designating a leader, whoever is the one who's making things happen by default becomes the leader. Yes. Well, and it was your job to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, from the expectations of my management was yeah. make this product, make it successful and launch it. I mean, that was their expectation, so you had to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and so from that aspect again I, I guess that would put you in a leadership role in uh, on the on the other side of it working uh, for people you know having a manager what's the quality that makes a good manager versus a bad manager what did you really appreciate what did you really feel you know made it hard I, I think the the best the best qualities or the best relationship you can have with your manager is one that you can be open and honest both ways. They're open and honest with you. You're open and honest with them. And there are no surprises. So if you got bad news, you give them the bad news. If you got good news, you give them the good news. And vice versa. So I think honesty and openness is the most important aspects of a boss-employee relationship. So now that you're two weeks away and you're not going to retire, you're going to do something different. But I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. If you had a piece of advice to give to a younger version of yourself or just a younger person starting their career now, and it doesn't need to just be career advice or job advice, or what's the piece of advice? Do the right thing. Like when you come to a crossroad and you don't, you got a decision to make, 
and sometimes their decisions are hard because it's like, well, if I do this, uh, I'll make more money. If I do this, it's probably more the right thing to do. It's like if you got to choose between the money or the right thing, um, I believe you choose the right thing. And at the end of the day, it all works out and you can sleep better. And it, it's easier said than done. And, and I, don't, I don't claim to be, you know, having been able to always do the right thing. But if, more often than not, if, if you have trouble making a decision and, and there's, in your mind, it's like, well, this would be the right thing to do. And, but this would be the easy way out. Um, generally speaking, doing the right thing. I think in the long run works out better. Now, and doing the right thing, I know that's kind of like a nebula. Like, what does that mean? It's like, well, do the right thing. What do you think the right thing is? That's at the end. That's all that matters. And then you can pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> A new day, a new way, and new hours.